All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022, 6, 21, 22. And as always, our aim is to study Torah and specifically the daily section of Torah. What we're actually going to do is start, um, I think we were not yet finished from the second reading. So we're going to pick up where we left off and then jump into some new territory and explore some deeper themes of this whole story of the spies. So just to reset, Torah portion this week is Shalach, and Shalach talks about at the core, at the, the, the central drama, is the story of the spies, the 12 people that Moses sends to scout out the land, the land of Israel. The people asked, can we send some reps to check it out? And Moses says, God's, Moses says, let me check with God. God says, do whatever you want. Moses sends these 12 individuals, and they come back with a mixed report. And when I say mixed, what I mean is, on the one hand, they say the land is great. Here are its fruit. It's wonderful. And at the same time, they say, but the people, however, the people are giants. The cities are fortified, and we have no chance. That is the report that came back. And at this point, because they called the press conference, and all the people are there for this report, the people begin to panic. So let's jump right in to the text and let's do it together inside. Oh, wow, look at this. Ray is joining. What a treat, hold on. Let's let's do a very warm welcome. Ray, welcome. Ray, it's great to have you. It's great to be here. <laughs> All right, awesome, good. To only good health. I will tell you, by the way, Ray, um, I was at Ollie today, this morning, for a class that you already took, the one on anti-Semitism. And as I'm strolling through the hallway, guess who I see? Beautiful picture. You. I see you. They have a picture of you. They have a picture of you. Oh, my heavens. They, it's a great picture. You look great. And um, I'll just say this. You should probably get a commission. You should probably get a um, royalties. Because <laughs> they're, they're using your picture. And by all accounts, they're probably getting scores of students. I'm just saying, like, you know, you can uh, call the Ollie folks, get them on the horn, and uh, see, see, what, see what deal you can work out. I, you know what I should have done? I should have taken a picture. Ugh, of the picture. Of the picture. And then I could show it to you right now on my phone, but I didn't. So I can't. But I really wish I would have. Next week, please God. Next Tuesday, please God, I'll take a picture. And we'll do Very it. We'll do it. Yeah. There you are. There you are. Um, probably in my class, but whatever. It's still. Uh, <laughs> but the focus is on the focus is on you. It's a great picture. Okay, let's jump in. We're gonna pick up where we left off. So the spies come back from scouting out the land of Israel. Forty days, they traverse the land. They check it out. They come back with giant grapes and pomegranates and other things, and they tell the people how wonderful the land is and the produce. But the people are mighty, they're giants, the cities are fortified, and they say there's no chance that we're going to conquer this land. At this point, the following happens. Take a look on your, at your screen, Numbers chapter 14, verse number 1. The people break out in absolute panic. The entire community raised their voices and shouted, and the people wept on that night. They cried the whole night. By the way, what day was this? 
This date was the, hold on, it was the was it the 9th of Av? It might have been the 9th of Av that this happened, or the 17th of Tammuz. Man, why am I forgetting? Can you see this? I can see that, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, nice. So they, they wept that night, they were crying, we're goners, we're finished, we're doomed, we're never, gonna, we're never going to be able to conquer the land, it's terrible, etc. All of the people, sorry, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the entire congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this desert, those would have been preferable um, options. Why does the Lord bring us to this land to fall by the sword? Why is he going to take us into the land of Canaan, land of Israel, only to be murdered by the sword and warfare? Our wives and children will be as spoils. Is it not better for us to return to Egypt? And then they took it to the next level. They said to each other, let us appoint the leader and return to Egypt. Let's find somebody else. Moses is taking us on an absolute death mission, suicide mission. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's appoint a new leader and head back. This, this got very serious, very serious. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire congregation of the children of Israel. They, they fall down, and at this point, they, they are, they're just done. What do you do at this point? Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. So those were two of the twelve who were among those who had scouted the land. They tore their clothes. You know, a person, God forbid, tears their clothes, God forbid, upon the passing of a loved one. Upon devastation, devastating news, we, uh, we rend our garments. So Joshua and Caleb, at this point, they rent, they, they rent their clothes. They, 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 they tore their clothing because of this tragedy that was unfolding before their very eyes. They spoke to the entire congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to scout is an exceedingly good land. Can you imagine the lonely voices amongst the panic? Millions of people just breaking out, or at least hundreds of thousands of people just crying and weeping and screaming and shouting and demanding and protesting and, 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 and banding together and all of this stuff. And you have two people who are like, no, we can do it, we can do it. Totally drowned out. That was the end of the second reading, which was really for yesterday. Let's toggle Rashi and let's look inside and see some commentaries from Rashi on this. The entire community, Rashi says, includes the members of the Sanhedrin, the members of the Jewish court. Even they got swept up in, into this pan, in, in this panic. And they said, if only we had died, we wish that we would have died. That would have been preferable to, to this type of de death. Let us appoint the leader. Targum says, let us appoint a head, which means let us appoint a king over us. That's the simple meaning. Our sages, however, explain this as a term referring to idolatry. They were then not only saying, let's appoint a, a different Moses, a different leader. They were saying, let's appoint a different God. Let's appoint a different deity over us. Let's worship another power that's not going to take us into this death trap of trying to conquer, trying to um, enter the land of Canaan. 
Okay, those are Rashi's. Let's continue the narrative. Let's let's pick it right up in today for today's reading. Reading number tres, number three. Number chapter fourteen. Caleb and Joshua continue the lonely voices, the voices of reason, of truth. If the Lord desires us, he will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, there's nothing that can get in the way of God's desire. If God only wishes it, it will happen. God is the ruler of heaven and earth. God is the creator of the entire universe. God can make it happen. We have nothing to fear. But, say Caleb and Joshua, you shall not rebel against the Lord, and you will not fear the people of that land, for they are as our bread. Don't rebel against God. Do not fear the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Prezites. Do not fear those people, for they are lachmenuhim. They are as our bread. What does that mean? We'll, we'll gobble them up. They have no chance. We will consume them. That's what they're saying to encourage their brethren to uh, regain confidence. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Again, very lonely voices in a state of otherwise, in, in an otherwise uh, uh, condition of panic. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's panicked. They're screaming. They're crying. They're demanding. They're angry. They're sad. They're petrified. And you have two people, in addition to Moses and Aaron, who've just fell down. They are now Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies, saying, no, we can do it. Have faith in God. The, the enemy is ours. We've got this. Do not fear. Totally insufficient and inefficient. The entire congregation threatened to pelt them with stones. They wanted to kill the messengers, Caleb and Joshua. But the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the children of Israel. Now God is intervening. The Lord said to Moses, how long will those people provoke me? How much longer will they not believe in me after all the signs I performed in their midst? He's like, are you kidding me? You know what I think, you know, the, the example that came to mind is, Imagine you have a couple that's married for 30 years and the husband is a loving husband and he's doing, you know, all the wonderful things for his wife over the years. And, you know, 30 years in, she's like, do you love me? Like, how do I know you love? Like, he's like, what do you mean? How do you know? Like, I'm, I'm here. Like, I'm, I'm, I've been doing all this stuff. People are like, oh, how are we going to do this? We're never going to be able to get in. And God's like, are you kidding me? Hello, I'm God. Do you remember what I've done to the Egyptians at the sea, um, uh, Sinai, Golden Cat? I mean, like, how, how do you not at this point, how do you not trust that, I'm, that I got your back? It's crazy. It's crazy that God is on, is on the defensive needing to defend himself as to like what he can do and cannot do. It's, it's just a, a wild twist of turn of events. Anyway, uh, Moses, God is angry, says to God, I don't know if he's angry. God says to Moses, how long will these people provoke me? How much longer will they not believe in me after all the signs I performed in their midst? Verse 12, I will strike them with a plague and annihilate them. I'm done. I am done with these people. I'm going to strike them with a plague and wipe them out. Then I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. God says, we're going to start again, Moses, from you and your inner circle. We'll start again. People that actually believe in me, people that actually have faith in me, etc. 
Well, Mo, so the good news is here that Moses is safe either way. But Moses does not take this deal. He says to God, essentially, no deal, no dice. Not happening. Moses said to the Lord, but the and I love the, the argument that he says, but the Egyptians will hear that you have brought this nation out from its midst with great power. They will say about the inhabitants of this land who have heard that you are Lord are in the midst of this people, that you, the, the Lord, appear to them eye to eye and that your cloud rests over them. And you go before them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night. And if you kill this nation like one man, the nations... So, in other words, he's setting this up. He says, what are the optics? He's, tell, he's explaining to God how bad this looks for him. He says, okay, what's your plan? You're going to wipe out this people and start again for me. What are the Egyptians going to say? What are the nations going to say? I mean, think about it. The Egyptians know that you took us, our nation, from outside from them. And then they know that you've been with us all this time. You appear to the Jewish people eye to eye. Your cloud rests over them. There's a pillar of cloud by day, a, fi- a pillar of fire by night. So if you kill this nation now, then here's what everyone's going to say. Since the Lord lacked the ability to bring this nation to the land which he swore to them, he slaughtered them in the desert. In other words, Moses is saying, you know who loses? You're going to lose, God. Your reputation is going to tank. Because no one's going to say that the children of Israel did something wrong. They're just going to say that that was a provocation that you used to get rid of them because you realized that you were in over your head. You see what's going on here? Moses is goading God into reneging. I don't know if goading is the right word. But he's basically saying to God, listen, you're setting yourself up for, uh, for a PR hit. You're getting, um, you're going to get slammed in, in the press. Everyone's going to say about you, oh, God was so mighty, so strong, but then he faltered. He collapsed when he got to the, you know, it's like Lahavda when you get, uh, you know, you have star athletes who get to the playoffs and then they can't perform. It's like the greatest of the great, greatest baseball players, football players, whatever. And then when they get to the championship games, they're out. They're out. You have, you know, you have various individuals that have had this reputation. So, what Moses saying is, God, you're going to develop this reputation. Big game choking. It's like, yeah, you took them out of Egypt. Sure, you took them through parts of the desert. But when, when push came to shove, when you were facing seven nations in the land of Canaan and the prospect of leading your people you know, to victory over them, you folded. And you took it out on them, on the people. And you got rid of the people because you don't want to face the music that you couldn't do it. Now, that's not true, but that's what people are going to say. You want that? You want that rumor about you? I love how Moses is like speaking to God, like you know, very um, somewhat casually. Now he says, "Please, God." Now, please, he says, "Let the strength of the Lord be increased," as you spoke, saying. In other words, let the strength of your forgiveness be increased, as you yourself spoke. 13 attributes of mercy, 13 attributes of kindness. We're about to get to the 13 attributes of divine forgiveness. You yourself said about yourself that the Lord is slow to anger and abundantly kind, forgiving iniquity and transgression. This is God who cleanses some and does not cleanse others, who visits the iniquities of parents and children even to the third and fourth generations. 
So you, I, I know there's a lot of stuff to unpack in that in those lines, but overall, these are the 13 attributes of divine mercy, slow to anger, abundantly kind, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, cleansing, um, etc. So, so we have this notion of divine kindness, forgiveness, and love. So therefore, Moses says, let, let those qualities be magnified. And thus, verse 19, here's the ask. Please forgive the iniquity of this nation in accordance with your abounding kindness. Not because they deserve it, but because you are abundantly kind. As you have borne this people from Egypt until now, you've always demonstrated your kindness. Do so once again. Forgive the iniquity of this nation. They've done wrong. They've failed in their faith. They don't trust you. They're, they're screaming and crying and, 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 and all in you know, in anguish and anxiety, doesn't matter. Forgive them because you are abundantly kind and forever forgiving. And what does God say to Moses? And the Lord said, Salachti kidvarecha, two words in, in Hebrew. I have forgiven them in accordance with your word. Salachti, I've forgiven them. Kidvarecha, in accordance with your word. As you ask, so I forgive them. By the way, just, just as an aside, again and again and again, we find Moses speaking to God, real, real talk, real talk with Moses. Like no pretending, God, you're the best. I'm sure you have the, the best uh, you know, intentions and motives and I'm sure you figured it out correctly. No, Moses says to God, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to kill the people with a plague in the desert? Everyone's going to say you can't do it. What about your abundant kindness and mercy and forgiveness? Make it happen. Forgive your people. And God says, so, okay, you got me. I'm forgiving as your words. By the way, lest you think that God is changing his mind, which I would say is not even a thought. It's clear that God changes his mind. God says, I'm going to destroy them. And then he says, okay, I've forgiven them. It's clearly changed his mind. Our understanding is that God doesn't change his mind. Rather, this was always the intention, but it had to come from the people. It had to come from, at least from the advocate of the people, which is Moses. If you want that door to open up, you have to open it up. No one's going to open it up for you. The door of teshuva, the door of forgiveness, only happens when you, when you bang it down. So Moses bangs down that door, God opens it, and thus, once again, another pathway for teshuva is born. Let's continue inside. However, God says, there's a caveat. There's a caveat. I will not destroy them, but... However, verse 21, as surely as I live and as the glory of the Lord fills the earth, in other words, I promise the following, that all the people who perceive my glory and the signs that I performed in Egypt and in the desert, everyone here who saw all the stuff, yet they have tested me these 10 times and not listened to my voice, I promise that if they will see the land that I swore to their fathers and all who provoked me will not see it. That's a fancy way of saying, I promise that this generation will not enter the promised land. Listen, I'm not going to destroy them. I'm not going to kill them with a plague in one moment. But, the, but I, 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 God says, as real as I am, anyone who saw what happened, what I've done, and still questioned me now, my ability to, to lead them into the land, they will not be going into that. They will never step foot into the land of Israel. But 
As for my servant Caleb, one of the 12 spies, since he was possessed by another spirit and he followed me, I will bring him to the land to which he came and his descendants will drive its inhabitants out. He will enter. The Amalekites, by the way, and there was another exception to this promise of no one going in from this generation, and that was Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, the two spies that remained kosher. I mean, Joshua was the leader who led them into the land, so obviously he survives. All right, the Amalekites and the Canaanites, God says, they, these nations dwell in the valley. They dwell right at the entrance point of the land. Tomorrow, turn back and journey into the desert toward the Red Sea. Go back to where you came. Go back at least to that direction. This is the fallout, my friends. This is the fallout. The spies go to Israel, spend 40 days. They come back with a negative report. The people panic. The people are crying. The people want a new leader. They want a new God. God says to Moses, I'm done. I'm done with them. Forget it. I'm going to destroy them and start again with you. Moses says, sorry, you can't do it. God says, okay, I won't. But this people, this this generation... These men, they will not step foot. They will not see the land. They will not step foot into Israel. And uh, with the exception of Caleb and, of course, Joshua, everyone else is not going to make it out. By the way, you know who else was not mentioned as an exception? Moses. God gives the exception of Caleb, and later on he'll say Joshua as well. But Moses' name is not mentioned. You had to believe that at that point Moses realized that he's going down with the ship. If his generation is not going in, then then likely he's not going in either. Because he's not accepted in the rule right now. Accepted, i.e. E-C, E-X-C, E-P, whatever. Accepted, like exception. Um, okay. That is that. Let's go back and do Rashi's. Let's go back and do Rashi's. I'm going to share my screen. And let's jump in. Okay. Here we go. Caleb and Joshua were the lone voices of faith and trust in God in conquering the land. And they said that the nations there are like our bread. Don't worry, they're not giants. They're not, they're like bread. What does that mean? We will consume them like bread. Assuming that you're not on a carb-free diet, this analogy works. If you're on a carb-free diet, you're like consumed like bread. I don't eat bread. Forget about it. So again, assuming that you're eating bread, consumed like bread, boom, they're done. Their protection is removed from them, Rashi. Their shield and strength, their virtuous ones have died. Namely, look at this and be prepared for your mind to be blown. Namely, Job, who protected them. Job, remember Job? The the sufferer, the righteous sufferer? He wasn't Jewish. He lived in that part of the world in Canaan. And Moses said, sorry, Caleb and Joshua said to the people, Job died. Job passed away. So the one righteous guy they had is no longer. So we for sure can conquer the land. Um, They wanted to pelt them, Joshua and Caleb, with stones. All right. How long will the people provoke me, God says to Moses, meaning until when? Like, how long is this going to go? How long? 
How much longer are these shenanigans going to take place where the people continuously don't trust me, do not have faith in me, and don't believe that I can make this happen? After all, Rashi says, after all the signs, after all the miracles I performed for them, they should have believed that I am capable of fulfilling my promises. After all this, they still doubt. You know, I gave you the example of a relationship. After 30 years of dedication in, in, in marriage, now you're still questioning me? Come on. Just uh, embrace it. Um, I will strike them with the plague, God says, and annihilate them. So, uh, destruction, not inheritance. Now, you might ask, what will become of the oath? God says, you might ask, what, what will become of the oath that I made to the patriarchs that their descendants will go into the land? So God says to Moses, I will make you into a great nation, for you are descended from them, from the patriarchs. So don't worry, I can still fulfill my promise to the patriarchs. You're, you, and your, you're, you and your group and your descendants, maybe all the Levites, maybe that was, the, maybe God meant the Levites would go in. I.e., Mark, you were safe. I don't know, something like that, right? But everyone else, God forbid, finished, kaput. So Moses says, no, you can't do this. Come on. This is a crazy idea. This is like, you know, someone trying to talk talk down someone from like doing something crazy. He's like, this is a very bad idea. God, come on. Egyptians are going to hear about it. They'll hear that you killed them. Um, they will hear that you have brought them up, Rashi, and they saw that you brought them up from among them with your great might. And when they hear that you killed them, Moses telling God, according to Rashi, they will not assume that they sinned against you, but they will say that against them you were able to fight, but against the inhabitants of the land you were unable to fight. That's what they're going to say about you, God. They'll say, yeah, you were able to pick on the Egyptians, but the Canaanites, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Prezites, the Jebusites, the seven nations there, you didn't have the ability. That's, that's why this whole thing collapsed. Okay. If you kill this nation like one man, meaning suddenly, consequently, the nations who have heard this will say that the Lord lacked the ability. Why? Because the inhabitants of the land are strong and powerful. Pharaoh cannot be compared to 31 kings. Apparently, there were 31 kings in the land of Canaan at that time. Seven nations, but 31 kings. They will say this about the inhabitants of the land. Since the Lord is incapable, because he did not have the ability to bring them, he slaughtered them. Because God couldn't fight against the 31 the 31 kings, so therefore, he, uh, he did that. He got rid of them beforehand. That's what they're going to say. That's what they're going to say. Um, let's continue. So now Moses says to God, after he kind of explains how the optics are looking, he says, now please let the strength of the Lord be increased as you spoke. What does it mean, be increased? By implementing your word. In other words, stick with what you've told me previously. And what was that statement? That you are slow to anger, abundantly kind, forgiving iniquity and transgression, the 13 attributes of divine mercy. Moses says to God, you yourself told me about that these are your qualities. So now, put your money where your mouth is. Forgive. The Lord is slow to anger. Let's go. Rashi. Both towards the righteous and towards the wicked. When Moses ascended on high, this is when he went to get the Torah. 
He found the Holy One, blessed be He, sitting and writing. The Lord is slow to anger. He said to him, toward the righteous, the Holy One must be answered, even toward the wicked. Moses said to God, let the wicked perish. God said to Moses, by your life, you will have need for the patience, for this patience for the wicked. When Israel sinned at the incident of the golden calf and at the time of the spies, but those two times, Moses prayed before God, making mention of slow to anger. The Holy One, blessed be He, replied to him, Did you not tell me toward the righteous? Moses responded, But you, but did you not reply to me even toward the wicked? So basically, that's the narrative. I, I love this Talmudic um, anecdote, this Talmudic story that explains the background. So Moses, I'm going to say it in my own words. Moses goes up to heaven. And God is writing, I am slow to anger. And Moses says, to the righteous? No, to the wicked. What? To the wicked? God says, trust me. Trust me. You'll need, you'll need this card. You'll need this card. And indeed, when it came to the sin of the spies, that's the sin of the golden calf, the sin of the spies, Moses trotted out this fact. He said to God, you want to destroy the Jewish people? Aren't you slow to anger? And God says, to the righteous. And Moses says, it's not what you told me on the mountain. You told me even to the wicked. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. Moses, once again, wins these debates. Very skilled. Okay, let's continue inside. And let's continue. He cleanses those who repent, does not cleanse those who do not repent. Tshuva is necessary. The Lord said, I have forgiven them in accordance with your word because of what you said. Namely, they might say that God lacks the ability. I don't want any negative God optics. Therefore, I will forgive them. Salachti kidvarecha as you requested. However, but this I will do to them. As surely as I live is a term expressing an oath. Just as I live and my glory fills the entire earth, so I will fulfill regarding them that all the people who perceived, if they will see the land, etc. In other words, just like I am real and true and God, these people will never step foot into the land of Israel. The verse, this verse is transposed. In other words, you have to read it out of order a little bit. It should be understood as follows. As surely as I live, right, that all these men, if they see the land, i.e. they will not see the land, yet my glory shall fill this entire earth so that my name shall not be desecrated through this plague by people saying that since God lacked the ability to bring them, etc. For I shall not kill them suddenly as one man, but gradually over a period of 40 years. And this is where the 40 years of wandering and the 40 years of dying initiates. And we haven't yet gotten to the God's conclusion about this plan, but this is basically where it's holding, where God says, okay, if I kill them at once, everyone's going to say that God didn't have the power. God didn't have the ability to take them into the land. But if they die of natural causes over the next 40 years, that's something else. Um, The people have tested me, Rashi says. This is to be understood literally. They tested God. Ten times, twice at the Red Sea, Twice with the manna, twice with the quails, as stated in Tractate Arachin. Wow, we got eight. No, we got six. Twice, let's see, two, four, six. Man, where's ten? All right, we have to look up the Talmud. Let's continue. Um, If they will see is basically promising that they will not see. These people will not see the land of Israel. They will not see the land. But as for Caleb... Since he was possessed by another spirit and he followed me, I will bring him to land. What's the other spirit, the another spirit? Two spirits, one which he spoke with the mouth 
and what she and one he concealed in his heart. In other words, Caleb acted sneaky. He told the spies, I am with you in your plot. But in his heart, he intended to say the truth. So outwardly, Caleb said, I'm with you, because he didn't want to get killed by the other spies. Sure, I, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. And then when it came, when push came to shove, he, uh, he revealed his truth, that God could do it. Because of this, he was able to silence them, as, as it says, Caleb silenced. For they thought that he would concur with them. He says, and you know what else? And everyone's like, yeah, you go, Caleb. And Caleb was like, God can do it. He pulled the fast one on them. This is what I stated in the book of Joshua. I, Caleb, brought back word to him, Moses, as it was in my heart, but not according to what I had said. This is what he felt in his heart, but it's not what he was telling his fellow compadre spies. He did not tell them what he really, truly believed until he put it out there for all the people. And Caleb followed me. Rabbi Ar- yes. I have the note. What is Arafi? The Talmud. Talmud attracted. Uh, I've got a note which says what the 10 times words want me to tell you. Yeah, 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 let's do that. I just highlighted it for everybody. Yes, jump in. It says the first test of the seed took place when the Israelites showed a lack of trust in God by complaining. Uh, is it not because there are not in graves in Egypt? He took us down in the wilderness. The second test of the seed is alluded to in the verse. They rebelled, they rebelled uh, about the sea at the Sea of Reeds. After the Israelites crossed the sea, they demonstrated a lack of faith, saying, just as we are emerging from the sea on this side, the Egyptians are emerging on the other. They didn't believe that the Egyptians were going were gonna to drown. They thought the Egyptians would also make it right. through and then the first, kill them. Right, 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 yeah. The first test uh, of, of the manna occurred when they were commanded not to, not to leave any of the manna until, uh, until the morning, yet some of them did. The other occurred when some of the Israelites went out uh, to gather manna on Shabbos, although they had been commanded not to. The two sins involving the the pheasants were the two times the Israelites asked for meat in an ungrateful manner. Uh, the other four tests were the two times they tested God by complaining of lack of water, the sin of the golden calf, and the sin of the spies. There you go. So this was beautiful. Thank you. This was the tenth and final test. The tenth and fi- well, final, whatever. This was the tenth test where, where the Jewish yeah. people once again are saying, what's going on? We don't want the land. The land is terrible. We're going to die. Blah, blah, blah. You're leading us to the slaughter. So God says, you're testing me these 10 times. Good. Excellent. That's it. That's number 10. That's it. We're done. done. Forget about it. 10. That's it. That's it. I'm out. I'm out. You're out. Okay. Um, And he followed me. Caleb. God says, the exception to everyone dying out and not reaching Israel is Caleb and Joshua. But Caleb, because he followed me. Literally, it's Vayimaliachari, which means he filled after me. Not fall, but filled. Filled means complete. Male means full. What does that mean? It means he followed me wholeheartedly. He filled his heart after me. In other words, he not only followed me begrudgingly, but wholeheartedly. Caleb truly believed that I can do it. This is an elliptical verse. Elliptical verse? Sounds like a bike. Elliptical verse uh, is in Hebrew, it's a mikra katsar, which means it's, it's, a, it's an abridged elliptical, I don't know, an abridged verse, since his heart, Liba, his heart is, is missing but implied. In other words, it says that he filled me, but he, his heart filled with faith in me. So there's like some words that are missing, it's like a condensed verse. Um, to which he came, Hebron shall be given to him, to Caleb and his family will drive out its inhabitants 
Um, literally, or they will drive out, they will expel the giants and the people who dwell in it. But the word is not is not to be rendered as will inherit it unless, okay, that's a grammatical point. The Amalekite, oh, then the final word of caution from God, don't even, tr- at this point, you're not going in, don't even try to go into the land because the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell there. Tomorrow, turn back and journey to the desert. Go back. Um, if you go there, Rashi says, to the valley, they will kill you since I'm not with you. God says, you choose at this point at your own risk. If you do not listen to me and you continue ahead, even though I told you you're not going in, then you will perish. I'm not with you. Tomorrow, turn back, turn around and travel back to the desert. Okay. So this takes us to the end of the reading. We did we did a reading and a half. We did the, the second half of reading two and the entire reading three. So what we've seen um, so far in the Torah portion, we have most of the arc of the story. We have from when the people initially approach Moses and say, hey, we're feeling a little uneasy. Can you send some people in and bring back a report? Moses bring that message, that request to God. God saying, do what you want. Moses acquiescing, sending this, these 12 people. They go in, they come back with samples and a report. They call a press conference with a public uh, press conference. Everyone's there. And they begin sowing fear and anxiousness in the people. The people take the bait and they are just filled with dread and trepidation. They cry, they scream, they beg, they plead. They're angry, they're sad, all of the above. um, Caleb and Joshua try their best to assure the people that it can be done, that God is with them. People are not listening, they're not not even hearing them. Um, God says to Moses, I'm done with them. This is the 10th and final test. I'm out, they're out. Moses says, you can't take them out. What are people going to say? Forgive them. You are forgiving. God says, okay, I will forgive them. I will not destroy them, but they're not going into the land. And don't even try it, because if you try it, it's not going to work out. That, that's the entire, my opinion, that's the entire summary of what we've done up until now. A few very important points that I want to share to add on. A few deeper ideas. Number one, and this is very important, it ties into something I mentioned yesterday. Not once did Moses call them miraglim, spies. Not once. They were told to check out the land, to tour the land. Here's a simple question. What's the difference? Let me start. Let me rewind for a half a second. What's the difference between a tourist and a spy? A tourist and a spy. As a tourist, you go into a country, you take pictures, you bring them back, you gather your friends, you show off the pictures. Very innocent. Very straightforward. A spy, oh man, you put on a mustache, you get a hat, you get a, you get a, a fake ID. Already you're, you're operating, it's a whole situation. What were they sent to do? The Torah says that Moses told them, Latur et ha'aretz, they were there to literally tour the land. Tour and tour, I guess Hebrew and English are related. T-O-U-R, they were tourists. They were there to check it out and bring it back. It's like when you go on vacation. Yeah. Imagine you go on a cruise to Alaska. You come back home after 10 days and your friend, your best friend says, how was it? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. What was it like? Oh, let me tell you what it's like. And you give a whole report. Are you a spy? You're not a spy. 
You went, you toured a land, you came back and you told the people, all your friends or whatever, what it was like. You're not a spy. These 12, well, 10 out of the 12, thought of themselves as Miraglim, spies. They, listen, they were influenced by, you know, who knows, uh, James Bond, whatever it was. James Bond? Yeah. They were influenced by whatever it was, by their um, notions of, or, or fantasies of grandeur and importance. And they basically said, we're spies, we're super secret agents, and we're going to, once they did that, they inflated their own self-importance. Suddenly now, at this point, they believed that their opinion matters. Their conclusions matter. Meanwhile, ne- no one asks you. No one, you, if you go back, uh, I, we could pull it up, but I, I, I'm not going to pull it up right now. If you go back and see the original mission that Moses, or the mission that Moses gave these 12 people, he didn't say, tell us if it's doable or even how it's doable. He just said, let us know what's going on on the ground. The conclusions are not yours to give. You are not being empowered. You are not the general. You are not the chief of staff. You are not the president. You're not the Moses. You're not the God. You're not the Aaron. Bring back information. Bring back pictures. Bring back memories. Be a good tourist and come back with a photo album. We'll take a look and we'll move on from there. But they thought of themselves as spies. They thought of themselves as the one who the entire mission is resting on. They felt that it's all about them and all about what they can accomplish and what about all about what they had to do. And once you have the ego involved, well then if your ego is very is very is activated and feels very excited, you're very excited this is your mission. Suddenly your opinion matters to who to you. Your opinion matters and your conclusions matter again to you. I we can't or there's no way this can happen. Suddenly you believe that you have a say in the destiny of the Jewish people and the destiny of the land of Israel. Suddenly, you, Mr. Tourist, are going to decide the fate of a nation. How do we get there? One word. Ego. I remember those commercials back in the day. Remember those ego commercials? Lego my ego? Remember those? Pop up and the, the sibling grabs it. Lego my ego? Yeah. Let go of the ego. Lego my ego, Lego your ego, right? The ego is what gets involved. They felt, look at us, we're spies. They took their mission, I would say, a little too seriously. I don't mean seriously, but they took it a little bit the wrong way. That they're being the ones that have to, you know. This is a truth in life. It's a truth in life that people often make mistakes. You and I often make a mistake about where we have a mission, we have a job, but suddenly we start feeling an overinflated self-importance and that can lead to negative behavior, negative decisions, and just disastrous outcomes. If you've ever seen somebody in a job that took themselves way too seriously, you know what I'm talking about. Are you with me on this? Somebody in a job and they're like, they're managing this and suddenly it's like, oh, like I'm the sheriff. It's like, hold on. Time out. Let's, you're a tourist, you're not a spy. At the core of this, as the Rebbe explains, at the core, I'm giving you different angles that all kind of are complementary. At the core of this, their first mistake is turning away from their shlichus, 
turning away from their mission. Moses sent them on a mission. As long as they would have stayed true to Moses' mission, they would have been successful. The moment they breached, the moment they broke with the mission that Moses gave them, is the moment that everything fell apart. Because they said to Moses, you have your mission, see you later, I'm going to do my own thing. We're going to do our own thing, we're, t- we're not tourists, we're spies. We're not giving you the information, we're going to make the conclusions. They, they broke, they completely broke ranks with Moses and the mission. And because of that, they set themselves up with, uh, they set themselves up for disaster, tragedy. A date with disaster is what they scheduled for themselves. All because they broke with Moses, all because they let their ego run amok, all because of their inflated self-importance of, I'm in charge, I'm in control, I can tell the people, Moses, and even God himself, what can and cannot be done. How do you get there? How do you get to a place where you are lecturing God as to what's possible? The ego is a terribly dangerous thing. Terribly powerful and positive and terribly powerful and dangerous. They unfortunately fell into the dangerous part of it. It's powerful, by the way, in a good way when you can stand up for yourself and be confident and not be intimidated by those who wish to take you down. That's good. But it's dangerous when it gets in the way of your sense of right and wrong, your sense of clarity as to what the mission is and what the plan is. That's when things get out of hand and things get a little fuzzy and a lot dangerous. So that, yeah, Joy. I I have one question that just hit me because I always, my impression was the original uh, children of Israel from Egypt did not go to Israel. Correct. They had to, you know, grow up and they went as slaves. So they had to, that generation couldn't go, but it looks like only Caleb and Joshua went. Or did the did the descendants of those twelve, of those ten um, yes. spies, quote unquote, did they go as well? I mean, I didn't see it in this. Region, yes, but. yeah. So to clarify it, yeah, great question. And just to clarify, the decree that God sets forth, and we'll, it'll be clarified in the verses. We didn't, we you know, we didn't finish the whole, the whole story. But the decree at that point was any men, all men, again, not not the women, the men between the ages of 20 and 60 at that time, that generation, those 40, those people within those 40 years, 20 to 60, they would not enter Israel except for two people, Caleb and Joshua. But all the kids that were younger, that would be, or that would be born subsequently, they went, the women, they all went in. But the men 20 to 60, that was the demographic that got banned with the exception of literally to, to, to remember, we did a sense at the beginning of this book a few weeks ago, by Midbar, Book of Numbers. So there was 603,000 something, right? 603 plus people, uh, sorry, men between 20 and 60. All of those people didn't make it out of the desert into Israel, except for two. So that was a devastating loss. But again, it happened naturally over the years. Think about it. Over the span of 40 years, people died of old age. They weren't killed in a plague. They died, you know, natural causes. So God allowed it to unfold in a, in a natural fashion so that it wasn't like a, a you know, a, a devastating punishment. It was a natural consequence. But you're correct. Maimonides says that this episode demonstrates a truth 
that this generation of men, they were not ready to go into the land. They were just not spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, whatever it was, all of the above, some of the above, they just weren't, they just couldn't, couldn't hack it. They were just, they were too maybe shell-shocked from Egypt. They didn't, they couldn't bear the thought of facing another battle, another challenge. You know, they'd gone out of a negative country, of a negative situation. They weren't yet ready to take on and conquer another. It just, it just was not for them. So God says, ultimately, that's fine. I'm not going to push you beyond your comfort zone. Your kids, they'll go in. They'll go in. And that's, I think, what you were referring to, that the next generation would go in. So the whole next generation, the entire next generation went in. Only two of that current generation, the original generation of the Exodus, only two members of that uh, generation went in. Um, There is another insight that's very important that I want to share with you, but I think I'll do it tomorrow. This will be the spiritual understanding of the spies because everything that I've said up until now over the last two days, we've had about, I don't know, two hours, give or take, of conversation about this. And everything has presented it from the classic position of this being a terrible sin, lack of faith, um, a brooch of their mission, ego, as I said a moment ago, like all that, all, all the negative stuff. There is a very creative and absolutely daring idea that's presented in Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy that completely reimagines this entire episode of the spies in a positive light. Now, to be very clear, not that it ultimately ends positively, but at least explaining how they initially had good intentions in bringing back this devastating report. So I'm going to save that for tomorrow, but just know that tomorrow we're going to get into a much, I would call it a more, a more radical, a much more radical way of looking at this entire story that actually presents it in a decently positive light. It's still negative, but at least we have a better understanding of how these 10, 10 of the 12 could fall from such a high place to such a low place in such a quick amount of time. This will, tomorrow's explanation should hopefully take care of that and explain it well. So that's my cliffhanger for today. That's my cliffhanger. It's not only Hollywood. This is also a Torah study, DPP. Cliffhanger. If you want to know this positive angle, by the way, I should mention, that has dramatic impact and importance in our lives, and our personal lives, about how we should live our lives. If you want to know this information and explore it together with me tomorrow at noon, DPP, Wednesday, June 22nd, 6 Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, any questions? Joy, Sarah, Olia, yeah. Mark, Ray, yes. Got a question. Um, in that um, Hebron yes. is the first location which was settled by the children of Israel, in this case by, by Caleb. Is it considered to be the holiest spot in Israel? It's one. It's one of the holy cities. There are, I should know this, four or five holy cities. Jerusalem, Hebron, Tiberias, Tiberia, Tzvat. I think maybe four. Maybe four. Um, Tel Aviv didn't crack the list. Who would have thought? But anyway, these are four ancient holy cities. Absolutely, Hebron is holy. Now remember this. Remember the connection between Caleb and Hebron. When they were, when him and his fellow, you know, tourists were spying the land, 
he broke off from the group. You know, like when you go on an Israel tour, like a Federation Israel tour, they have like the opportunity to go on your own a little bit, or you might yeah. just take the opportunity. He took the opportunity to go on his own, and he went to Hebron to Hebron to pray at the gravesite of the patriarchs and matriarchs. And because of that, <coughs> he had the strength to withstand the peer pressure. And because of all of that, he ultimately, him and his family inherited that piece of Israel as their own personal little uh, little piece of the land. So that that's pretty special. So that's where the cave, cave of Israel yeah. is? Yeah, that's the cave. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca, the whole, yeah, all the, yeah, the four couples. Adam and Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, yeah, Adam and Chava, Abraham and Sarah, um, Isaac and Rebecca, and Jacob and Rachel, of course. Leah. No, Leah, Leah, Jacob and Leah. Yeah, I think I miss. I think I misspoke yesterday. Also, I don't know. I like. I like double. Uh, I like overthought it yesterday as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Of course, it's Leah is there because Rachel is Rachel's tomb. She's on the way near Bethlehem. Yeah, hundred percent. Correct. So anyway, so he, he prayed at the gravesite, uh, the burial place of these four couples. Machpelah means the double cave, the cave of doubles. Um, I just think of a tennis match. Anyway, the cave of doubles, and uh, and that's where he got the extra boost, and he ultimately inherited that piece. Um, tomorrow we continue the narrative. And just so you know, tomorrow we read about the continued fallout, um, the formal punishment of the children of Israel, we also read, give me a second, we also read of the Ma'apilim, the people who were stubborn and decided they're going to try to conquer Israel anyway. And uh, and how that ended, and we're going to end on a, on, a, on a quizzical note, talking about something completely unrelated, laws of offerings. Okay, so all that is coming up tomorrow, and uh, we got a lot of important stuff to cover then. All right. And plus the, uh, the mystical insights. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. We got the, uh, the, the, um, the cliffhanger. So join me. All right. Joy, Sarah, Ray, Mark, Olia. We'll see you guys. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody. Pleasure. Pleasure. We'll see you guys.